Hello and welcome to another episode of Drag Set Pass, the short form podcast that helps you keep up with your favorite development topics. This is your host, Christian Medina. Today we're expanding on one of the first episodes we did on the show, which was about practicality, my favorite topic. Specifically, we're going to talk about microservices and what it's like to implement them in the real world as they compare to monoliths. The idea is based on another article that we published at the Triaccept Pass website a little while back. It's called Practicality Beats Purity, Microservices versus Monoliths. One of the recent industry trends has been to move away from large applications that we like to call monoliths. These are usually developed within one code base and delivered as one large system, which over time can get really hard to maintain. In their place, the idea is to favor splitting off individual domains of the system into separate components that can be delivered by themselves as individual services. We like to call these microservices because they perform the smallest function possible grouped into logical units. They are independent deliverables, deployable, replaceable, and upgradable all on their own. But delivering on the promise of microservices is a lot more than just about the software and the way you develop it. It also requires an organizational structure that promotes it, as well as a resource infrastructure that's able to adjust to the complexities uh, introduced by the system. Today we're going to look at some of those trade-offs. Let's start by examining some of the benefits that we gain from using this architecture. See, the architecture provides a level of modularity and portability that you're usually unable to get out of using a monolith. It's easy to repurpose and reuse individual systems for other parts of the business. A great example is, say, a user authorization service that implements company-wide security standards. With good design, you could reuse it across various applications and organizations in a large business. Microservices also give you a better ability to scale. Implementations that use easy-to-proxy protocols like, say, HTTPS, can spin up multiple instances of the same service across multiple physical or or virtual machines at any point in time. It's great during peak usage and helps overall infrastructure costs during scaled-down service hours. If you're in the cloud, they can even be shut down completely, directly saving you money. Along with the scalability, of course, comes availability. Once a service is independent enough to scale, it's just as easy to keep extra instances running in separate infrastructure resources. When one fails, the other can take over the load while the original one restarts. Developers can then debug from a stack trace that's either emailed to them or in a centralized logging system. In fact, you can even choose to ignore the same failures unless they occur more than a certain number of times over a given period. This will save your debug time for the wider reaching more important problems. The same mechanism enables continuous zero downtime deployments by individually upgrading service instances. After one upgrade completes and traffic starts to flow, it's easy to restart at the previous version if there's a problem. This helps you maintain uptime while fixes are ongoing. 
It's a great way of doing A-B testing with user interfaces. You can just run multiple instances of the same interface, some of which have slight changes to your GUI, and then you can monitor your user's response to see if you want to make those changes permanent. Implementing microservices does imply quite a bit of complication for the systems as a whole. In order to help mitigate that, it's necessary to provide well-defined interfaces between all the services. Going through the thought process of making those definitions will help surface architectural problems that you may have missed otherwise. Thinking through that architecture is also important because it helps define the tests that guarantee the required promises or contracts that the interfaces between the services must follow. While the overall integration of the services becomes harder as we add more and even harder to test, the individual functions of the services tend to become easier and simplify. Separating into smaller systems allows an increase in the speed of feature delivery for each one of your subsystems. In other words, you don't need an entire new version of your application because you made a change to user management. You can simply update the user management service and deliver that feature separately without having to wait for the rest of the application to catch up. Of course, this only works if the changes you made to your service keep to the promises that were made during the service definition of how it's going to affect the information flow at the integration points with the rest of the application. All right, so let's look at what happens when we get into the practical side of implementing this in the real world. You see, the agility and simplicity that we're talking about for each one of the individual services is exchanged for a complexity of infrastructure. If you don't have the right architecture, tools, compute, or human resources in place to manage that complexity, you can find yourself in deep water pretty quickly. Running individual services means that you have to track which ones are up and which compute resources they're running in. You have to provide a way to dynamically configure them so they can run on any available resources, otherwise it defeats the purpose. Plus, you need simple ways of restarting, scaling, monitoring, and moving them to different compute nodes. This means you also spend a lot of time coordinating. Splitting a monolith into individual pieces also relinquishes control of that code base. While this can be beneficial, it does mean that you require more coordination between the owners of the individual services and the developers that are writing them. Defining interface contracts becomes more important and takes more time, often turning into a point of contention. And by contracts, I mean you have to put together some documentation or specification that says, if you access this endpoint in this service, it's going to respond with this data every time. If you ever need to change one of those contracts, meaning you need to adjust the response, you probably have to make a new version of it. And then you have to wait for that version change to propagate to the rest of the system when the remaining development teams working on the other services actually have the time to do that. Maintaining an internal service compatibility matrix also becomes a requirement. One that can help you track things like which version of my user service is able to speak with which version of my billing service and which version of the core business logic service. Things work better if you define those interfaces such that the services can discover it, but you still need manual intervention when performing upgrades that can no longer function with the rest of the ecosystem. And that whole service discovery mesh winds up being yet another component of your infrastructure that you need to run and maintain. 
In fact, it becomes a critical component. Monoliths tend to provide an easier way of enforcing coding standards and practices across the entirety of the application. Changing this architecture trades readability and consistency for flexibility because you'll most likely have separate development teams handling each one of the services. Each one of those teams can have their own practices and standards. On the other hand, because they're able to do this, each team can choose to use the best practices that suit their ultimate goals of interacting with the rest of the ecosystem. In other words, you can write compute-intensive statistical analysis code in C, the highly concurrent message queue in Erlang, and the business logic in Python. Depending on your organization, this could be completely worth it, but it's important to keep in mind the main drawback, which is it's highly likely that the person who wrote the business logic will have no clue how to fix a bug in the message queue. A microservice architecture can increase end-user latency as well when compared to a monolith. Working with anything that imposes response time metrics becomes a problem because typical implementations use a layered approach, and traversing each layer now incurs a latency cost due to the network communication between them. It's no longer just about working between threads or processes. For example, if you split a user management service out of the main business logic, a request to list all the possible users becomes this long series of events. For example, your customer requests a user list from the application. The application load balancer receives that request and uses an algorithm to determine which core application instance to send it to. One of the core instances then receives the request sent by the load balancer and routes it internally to a user list endpoint. That endpoint function no longer knows how to get the list of everything, so it sends the request to the user management service. The load balancer for the user management service receives the internal request and determines which instance to send it to. Then the user management code finally receives the request, processes it, and returns a response, which finally makes it back to the core instance so that it can then process the user management response, add extra logic or information to it, and finally return that to the customer. In a regular monolith, you could probably perform this in microseconds, plus like the query time to your database. In a microservices system, you're probably talking about milliseconds. Optimizing the scale of each service also is a consideration. If you want to handle thousands of requests per second in your application, and all of your endpoints require user information from the user management service, then that user management service has to be able to handle a thousand requests per second. It seems obvious right now, but when the code base and the teams designing it grow large enough, it's easy to miss trivial things like this and run into situations like the perfect machine learning code choking while waiting for user validation. Another cost in the reality of implementing microservices in the real world is that debugging also gets exponentially more complicated. You need some sort of central logging system now that receives messages from each one of your services so that you can put them together in a coherent way. Otherwise, it's going to be really complicated to try to figure out what service was doing what at which point in time and how all of that correlates to the one request that your user made. However, this central logging system is yet another service that you have to manage and maintain that could be a single point of failure. Yes, there's stuff out in the market to help you do that, but a lot of times you're unwilling to send some of this information out over the internet. Now, it's good practice to not be outputting sensitive information into your logs. Any application, monolith, microservices, or otherwise, 
you need to pay attention to what it is that you're printing out. However, when all of this information is now being sent over some network, things get a little more complicated than if you were just writing them out to standard out or some local file system. Even telling time gets more complicated in this type of architecture because timestamps become a bit more blurry. You can't trust them across the services, even if they're on the same physical hardware. Of course, that's like very fine-grained detailed timestamps. And the reason for that is a CPU architectural issue in virtual machine switching, just losing seconds or really the lower level units that the operating systems use to keep track of seconds while they're doing that context switch. If you're debugging something that's very time sensitive, you'll have to manage it through the logging systems or some other centralized means. As we alluded to just a little bit ago, keeping track of which request initiated which set of actions across a larger system also increases in complexity and you have to come up with some scheme or mechanism to keep better track of that. The way I see it, if you're an engineer, choosing between these two architectures is one of the things you should do best, because it's about exchanging one set of problems for another. In this case, you're giving up software issues for infrastructure and operational issues. Maintaining multiple code bases is complicated, Managing many services and how many of them are online, it also gets complicated quickly. Availability through scale is easier than built-in resiliency, but finding and debugging problems across multiple instances of services is considerably more complicated. You need the right set of tools, infrastructure, and people in place to be able to handle the complexities that come with microservices. For example, if you don't have a team that can handle the administration of the infrastructure, its deployment, and developing the tools necessary to properly manage it, then you're going to have some problems. Along the same lines, if your organization isn't configured to allow for separate teams to develop, deploy, release their own code independent from the rest of the organization, then you're going to wind up in a situation that's not right for you because you just won't be gaining much benefit from this architecture. If you don't need the scale, then who cares? If you need the availability, then consider a monolith with the scale of two. Don't pick microservices because it's cool or because it's an industry trend. Pick it because it's the right solution for the problem you're trying to solve and the organizational infrastructure that you're using. Thanks for listening to the Tricep Pass podcast. If you liked it, feel free to subscribe with your favorite app. You can leave us a review on iTunes if you'd like to support the show. Don't forget to visit dragsteppass.org for more articles on real-world software. You can stay informed by signing up for our mailing list. And if you're interested in seeing us cover something specific, send us a tweet at Pass. This is Christian Medina wishing you good times and good tinkering.